Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, joined today by Pastor Brady Boyd and Daniel Grothy and Glenn Packiam. And it has been a busy season of writing around new life. And the last couple episodes, we've talked with Pastor Brady about his book, Remarkable. Today, we're talking with Glenn about his new book released over the summer, Blessed, Broken, Given. Glenn, we're just enthused that you've got this book out to the public. So well done, man. Thanks, man. It's fun. So I'm going to tell you, I love... There's a number of things I love about this book. I love books that are written by pastors who are also theologians, theologians who are also pastors. They just have a way of saying things just right and encompassing large ideas in pastoral language. So I love that about it. And I also love, I love books that like try to kind of say everything about everything <laughs> <laughs> in a deceptively simple way. And so when I read Bless, Broken, Given, I go, this is Glenn trying to say all of the things that are true about God and human beings in a really succinct way. And I think it's succinctness comes through so beautifully on the cover where you just have this loaf. Of bread. Of bread, artisanal yes. bread that's broken. So Glenn, With a cross you, in the bread. There's a message see, even in the picture. Look at you just trying to do all the things. So Glenn, we're just going to start there. Tell us why bread? Why is bread a symbol for what you're trying to do in this book? The simplest answer to that is because Jesus chose bread to explain the most significant event in all of human history, his death on the cross. When he was about to go, this is N.T. Wright's famous phrase, Jesus didn't give us a theory of atonement, he gave us a meal. And so Jesus takes bread and says, this is my body, you know, given for you. And, but, but there's other reasons for choosing bread. One, bread is like the most common food item all around the world. There's a, mm-hmm. uh, there's a uh, bakery in lower Manhattan that has a, uh, a wall where they show breads from all around the world, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's flatbreads or, you know, baguettes or whatever, or in America, sliced white bread, you know, it's this common food staple. And so there's this commonness of bread that also speaks to us, that God takes the common and fills it with his glory. God uses the most earthy thing he mm. could He could uh, uh, find and use it to speak of something that is holy and beautiful. And so it's a way of speaking of our whole life. So yes, it points to Jesus's life, but for the Christian, it points to our life in Christ. We are like this bread that is blessed, broken, given. I love the, uh, the, uh, the, the shout out, the dedication to my wife, Holly, who is gluten-free tries to avoid eating bread. I love that. Right off the bat. The, the Glenn a prophet Pacquiam is not honored humor. even in his own kitchen. Yeah, the Glenn Packiam humor comes right out. Yeah. I, I, you know, I told our congregation that I write books. I'm always thinking about my family. What, yeah. what, do, you, what do you want your children yeah. uh, to take away? What do you, so people, oftentimes when we talk about books, we talk about books mm. that are written primarily to adults, but... Mm. You have children at your home, and, right? And my goal, at least when I write, is that my kids would take this and it'd be a living legacy of yes. their dad. So, what have you? What is? What do you want your kids to take away? And, and our children, when they read this book, mm. uh, what do you want them to believe about this? I love that question, Brady. And my oldest is uh, now fourteen, and she's read one of my books already. You know, one of the earlier ones. And so, I I, I am thinking about them when I when I was right. I was thinking about them when I was writing this and. And I think what I would love for them to hear in this is open your eyes and look all around mm. you. God is in this place. Chapter one, before we even get into the three words, chapter one is all about uh, a sacramental imagination, a way of seeing the world as not either natural or supernatural, yeah. but rather sacramental. And what I mean by that is that 
God is filling the earth with His glory. So I don't want my kids growing up to believe that there, there are good things that you can do for God, that that's holy work, and then this other stuff, well, that's just sort of ordinary work. No, I want them to believe it's all holy work if you offer it to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I want them to be like Jacob that says, surely the Lord was in this place, and mm-hmm. even though I didn't know it. you mm-hmm. know. So that's kind of the first thing. So I even chose in chapter one, I chose a reference to a book that they love, a book series that they love, Harry Potter, <laughs> to, to talk about this kind of view of saying, what if there is more around us than we're aware of? And that the glory of God is always radiating at us. I, I did love it in the introduction, you bring that, uh, the Jacob story, Genesis mm. 32. Mm. Uh, I think it's earlier in Genesis, actually, but surely God was in this place and yeah. I was not aware of it. I mean, the task of spiritual formation, as you're saying, is to become aware to the of the yes. ever presence of God all around us. So I want you to take us into, because, and you've already drawn attention to it a little bit, but the communion, really, mm. coming to the table mm. of the Lord really is the ballast for you that helps us open our eyes yeah. to the glory of God that's always around us. So take us into the new life. So we've talked about it some on this podcast before, but talk us talk about the practice of weekly communion yeah. at, at New Life and how that practice eventually became kind of a paradigm for viewing the Christian life. Well, when we began weekly communion at New Life, you know, Pastor Brady, Daniel, all of us, we got questions like, well, what is going on here? And what do you believe about the table? Are you saying it is Jesus's body? And, and people get very hung up on what is or isn't happening, uh, instead of a more mysterious way of saying, you know what, the Holy Spirit is always meeting us through all kinds of means. Sometimes He meets us as we're listening to music, as we see a sunset, as we laugh with friends. You know, there's always uh, a sense in which we are mediating and ministering God's presence to one another. And the Lord's table is called a, a sacrament because it is a visible sign of an invisible grace. This is what Augustine said about sacraments in the fourth century. So, the table has these two common elements, bread and, and wine, and they're meant to say to us, look, these ordinary things actually have a way of speaking to us about God's presence. So you, you said the phrase, the table becomes more than just a practice. It becomes a paradigm. It becomes a way of seeing. So I, I'm less interested in everybody saying, okay, yeah, yeah, we should take the sacraments. Look, there are people who, quote unquote, receive the sacraments every week, but it hasn't affected the way they, sure. they see or the yeah. way they think. I, I want us to have a sacramental imagination that actually charismatics are really great about this because mm-hmm. we believe God's, yeah. God's always on the move. Everything is laced. Yeah. Or as Hopkins would say, the world is charged with the grandeur of God, right? It's all there. Uh, I, I, Glenn, I want to know, take me into your home as a little boy. Like, where did this book come from in your soul? Like, you, you grew up with your parents mm-hmm. in Malaysia, mm-hmm. them opening their doors, them yeah. feeding people, their pastoral. Where did this book come from? Well, there were two things that were always part of my home growing up, food and prayer. <laughs> I mean, there was always the sound of food, of people praying and yeah. the smell of food being prepared, you know. And I think in a very real way, those two themes come together in this book where there's something beautiful about the preparation of food that opens us up to life together, life in community. And then, and then of course, prayer, the expectation that God is right here. God is right here, not distant, not far away. So again... Before even exploring these words, blessed, broken, given, there is this premise that uh, that God is here. Mm-hmm. Well, your your byline is you know the title of the book is blessed, broken, given, but it says how your story mm. becomes sacred mm. in the hands of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I know that this is that is such a pastoral <laughs> sentence yeah. and language. Mm-hmm. Well, how can people's story become sacred? Did tell me, give me, give me a couple of thoughts. Yeah. Because a lot of people are listening to this podcast and their story does not feel sacred. That's Their right. life does not look 
spiritual. They don't feel sacred. They don't feel whole. Yes. They certainly don't feel forgiven. Yes. Uh, what is this book designed to do for those people? There, that's exactly right. And really, the motivation for writing this book is the three. There's three um, longings of the heart that I felt from people uh, in our congregation uh, that I wanted the book to address. The first sort of question or wondering is, does my life really matter? Am I doing something that matters or is it just, you know, blah? Is it just ordinary? Am I too mundane to matter? And then maybe the second question is, is my life too messy or messed up? Have I made too many mistakes? Have I disqualified myself? Is Are the best days behind me? You know, have I, have I taken things off the rails? And then the third question is, is there really a mission here to my life? Do I have purpose? You know, mm-hmm. so oftentimes mm-hmm. I'll sum up these three words by saying, blessed, broken, given is about glory in the ordinary. It's about grace in the mess. And it's about purpose every day. So that's the pastoral question that, that this is. So it's, it's not a theology book. It's not a theology of the table book even, you know. Yeah. Uh, in a way, it's saying if you look closely at the table, the message of the gospel is yeah. there. And the message of the gospel is God has hidden his glory in the ordinary. God has grace for your mess, mm-hmm. and God has purpose for your life every day. It's good. Take us into those. Let's unpack those three words a little bit. What do you mean when you say blessed? Uh, blessed is a word that gets trafficked a lot in Christian circles. Hashtag blessed. Mm-hmm. I'm blessed and highly favored. But you give us a richer. But you give us a richer understanding of blessed. Help us understand what you mean by blessed. It, it, it's great to look back in the scriptures to say oh, how does how does how does the Bible talk about this word blessed? And in Genesis, you you meet God the Creator mm-hmm. blessing the world that He has made. And in fact in the, you know, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, but the New Testament writers were reading it in Greek. And that Greek word is the same one that Luke uses a number of times in his Gospels for what Jesus does with bread. Mm. So I, I have this sort of sneaky imagination here of what if Jesus was taking bread, blessing it, and kind of wink, wink, I remember when the triune God, yeah. when we did yeah. this over yeah. the whole cosmos right. and blessed it, you mm-hmm. know, um, eulogized it is sort of the, 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 the English word that comes from that Greek word. So to be blessed then is to, is to be commended by God, but maybe to put it more personally, it's to be restoried, is to let God take you back to your good beginning mm-hmm. and to give you the name that he has for you. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens to us in the church world is we think that our story began with Genesis 3. We think our story began with the fall. And so the first thing people are conscious of, I mean, it's step one in so many people's evangelism strategies. Step one, you're a sinner, you know? Well, that's not step one. Total depravity, bro. Right. I mean, that's (laughs) not step I'm sorry, but the story that God tells about you is chapter one. I called you good and beautiful and, saw that and it was blessed yep. you. So I, I want this word blessed to be recovering your actual story and your actual name. And in fact, this is what is done for us in Christ. Brady, you said, you know, the subtitle, how your story becomes sacred in the hands of Jesus. There is a, you know, this is not like the new agey, uh, generic spirituality thing of everybody's already a sacred God to yourself. You yeah. This is not that. Mm-hmm. This is, yes, sin has damaged, uh, done some damage to us. But if you put your life back in Jesus's hands, Mm -hmm. your name is no longer sinner. It is saint. Your name is no longer uh, a messed up person. Your name Mm -hmm. is beloved son or daughter. Mm -hmm. Glenn, I was reading again this morning in preparation for the podcast, um, chapter five Mm. about shame. (laughs) And I think one of the great uh, issues in our culture today is people's inability to deal with their shame. 
And you tell the story of the Japanese art form where uh, I want you to tell that again. Yeah. I don't want to give too much yeah. of the book away because I want people <laughs> to buy the book. But I was so moved by that again this morning. I know uh, in my pastoral work, uh, even raising my own kids and uh, those kinds of things, that shame is such a massive, massive influence on our culture. Tell us again uh, what happens when we bring our shame to the Lord. Uh, the word broken gets used in at least you know a handful of different ways. One, we say the word broken like I feel broken. Uh, could be a way to just talk about our frailty. You know, like when the psalmist says, "He knows our frame; we are just dust." Uh, could be a way to talk about our failure, our sin, and that's the place where shame really comes in. Is the, the there is an unhealthy shame that is disconnected from guilt or disconnected from wrongdoing? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a kind of shame that is connected to wrongdoing that you can't self-talk yourself out of, mm-hmm. you know? Like, And this is, you know, our culture recognizes that shame is is dangerous or, or harmful, but their answer to it is don't feel shame. Eliminate it. Right. Yeah, eliminate right. it. Just, oh, you know, come on, haters going to hate, just get up and go, you know? And that's not the Bible's answer to it. The Bible's answer is there is a Redeemer. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a Savior. There is someone who can wipe away the guilt and actually make it so our faces are never covered in shame, the psalmist says. So, that yeah, the the Japanese art, uh, kintsugi, is is this pottery that uh, when it was broken, they would repair it with a liquid resin that resembled gold or looked like gold. And it became so precious and so valuable that actually art collectors in the 15th century would um, would deliberately break pottery so that it could be repaired with these golden seams. And I thought that is a picture. It's a pretty close picture of what grace does. Grace doesn't just repair the the break in our life. Grace makes us more beautiful than we were before we were broken. Glenn, one of the go ahead. Go ahead. And it seems like the broken places actually become places of strength. Mm-hmm. That was what I took away from reading it, that what we discount in our lives is always going to be broken. This is always going to be a messy problem. Well, actually, you know, not to use a cliche, but our mess does become kind of the message of our lives. That yeah. we, this, it turns into this strength and it turns into this place of beauty and not not embarrassment. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And and I think, you know, I think of our church. You know, uh, the pain that we went through, our brokenness led to our givenness. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that that place where the Lord yeah. healed us became a reason why we were able to turn to our city and say, where are the places of pain in our own mm-hmm. city? You know, what you've done so beautifully, Brady. And and I think that happens corporately and, and personally. Where are the places where God's grace has come rushing in? Yeah. And now how does that become a source of strength? And I think the resurrection of Jesus is a beautiful picture of this because when he's raised, mm-hmm. he doesn't go to the guys and the gals and say, hey, look, I'm yeah. Better than ever. Yeah, no he, scars. He, yeah. Put your hands yeah. right, right here. Touch right. this. Right. Feel this. Understand mm. what this cost, yes. and understand that this isn't an impediment mm. in the in the life of God. That God knows how to take what you've been through and redeem it and repurpose yes. it for other people. So even in the body of Jesus, we see that God knows what to do with our wounds. The, the third kind of brokenness is a is a brokenness that comes when we experience suffering and pain. And that's the kind of brokenness where we say, God, you should have prevented this. Yeah. That, that's John 11, Mar- Mary and Martha. If, if you, you had been here, here yeah. our brother would not have died. And, and what Jesus introduces into that story is resurrection and a kind of resurrection that is only a shadow of the real and true resurrection, right? But the message of that story is that God's redemption is actually more powerful than prevention. So good. Mm-hmm. And that's stunning because we, 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 what we'd rather is, God, just prevent anything bad. Prevent me from making mistakes. Prevent bad things from happening to me. And the reality is we live in a world where we're not in control of all of those things. And God knows 
that his power to redeem is actually stronger than anything we could imagine. That was one of my most, the favorite parts of, of the book in my mind was that chapter suffering and pain. I thought that you did a beautiful job of outlining it. And you talk about, this is page 107, I'm gonna quote it to you. You said that on the third day, the father raised Jesus up from the dead. The beloved son of God experienced a love that's stronger than death. Now, because of his resurrection, one day death will be swallowed up in victory. Only God can do this. Only God can take brokenness and bring blessedness from it. Only God can make blessedness come through brokenness, which is why Augustine wrote, God judge it better to bring good out of evil than not to permit any evil at all to exist. I want you to just unpack that for a second. Why is resurrection better than prevention? What is the Christian hope that you're alluding to here? Well, I don't know that we will fully understand the why of it, and even Augustine's not claiming to explain it. He's just saying, this is what God thinks, because this is what God has done. Uh, God did not prohibit evil, but God Mm. chose to bring good out of it. God God did not prevent the cross. He chose to bring resurrection out of it. And so to be a Christian is to confess that resurrection is stronger than death, and Mm -hmm. it's to put our hope in that. Um, Based on that, Augustine saying uh, Christians in the 5th century wrote a hymn, that starts with these lines, felis culpa, something, something, something in Latin. And it, it means, oh, fortunate fault. Happy fault, yeah. Happy fault that gained for us so great a Redeemer. Yeah. The reason Christians can worship is not only that we have our faults forgiven, but that in the midst of our brokenness, what we gained was so great. And that God's not just trying to take us back to some kind of innocence, but he's yeah. taking us forward. Forward. Yeah, forward into resurrection, forward into glory. Yeah. Now, let's talk about given. Yeah. Because a lot, especially uh, a lot of young 20, 30-somethings listening to this podcast are wrestling with purpose. Yeah. And does the church still have a purpose for me? It's like a, yeah. the church has changed in front of them. Mm-hmm. And what what can you say to the young 20, 30-something that's launching out into their life right now? They're trying to discover the meaning and the purpose for their existence. What does the table and what does this mean for them? Well, first of all, the story doesn't end with us as recipients. It invites us to become participants. And that's the beautiful thing about Mm -hmm. it. Even when we come to the table, we are receiving, Mm -hmm. but we participate by adding our faith and by adding our thanksgiving. That that is part of the Eucharist sort of, you know, um, formality. And, And what that speaks to us about in our normal life is that... This story of being blessed, of being, of being, you know, placing your brokenness in Jesus' hands, it doesn't end with you saying, oh, thank God, that's so wonderful. It actually then commissions us out into the world. Now, the trap for young people is all of us tend to think that our purpose has to be epic. Yeah. <laughs> that, that if I'm not doing it, you know, I mean, and people say this, if it's not big, it's not God. And right. if it's go not, bigger, you know, go home. Yeah. <laughs> if your dreams aren't big enough to scare you, then they're not from God. That's right. And I just, <laughs> it's really poor theology. <laughs> poor theology, because it's not how the people in the Bible live. We're getting the little Instagram highlights of these Bible character stories, right. but there's a long life of faithfulness behind each of those moments that we're getting the highlight reel of. And, and, and I think actually purpose looks like faithfulness mm-hmm. in these everyday moments. So I try to tell some ordinary stories in there. I talk about my auntie uh, in Sri Lanka who just faithfully kept at it with her sisters, my mom and my other aunt, you know, telling them about Jesus and telling them why they needed to be born again and mm-hmm. be more than a cultural Christian. And those are the people that actually end up making a difference. Mm. What do you, Glenn, hospitality, if, mm-hmm. if the Lord's table mm-hmm. is central in worship, it seems like that table imagery shifts to our own tables. Yeah. So tell me how you see the Christian life 
sort of coming uh, coming around the mm. table in the home? Mm. How does hospitality throw open the doors of the kingdom? Mm. How does uh, the, the life of Jesus break out at our tables? Such a great question. Um, in Luke's gospel, so Luke tells these blessed, broken, given stories, and he, maybe because he's more precise, whatever, he seems very intent on using this phrase. So feeding of the 5,000 Passover and then disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then actually in his volume two, the book of Acts, he tells one final blessed, broken, given story of Paul on a prison mm-hmm. ship. And I think what Luke is doing is it, it gradually, the setting becomes more and more quote unquote secular mm-hmm. or, or not in religious spaces. I mean, Passover, the most quote unquote religious space, then disillusioned disciples, then outright hardened prisoners. pagans, prisoners, yeah. you know, and, and centurions. And what Luke's trying to say is the the hospitality that we have received is meant to propel us outward mm-hmm. into the world. That we yeah. are our mission in the world is to extend the hospitality of Jesus, mm-hmm. and and that does not mean affirming or approving what the world do. No, no, no. That means standing in those spaces and saying, "Look, guys, God is here. His grace is still available to you, even on a shipwreck, mm-hmm. even in a storm." And so, so we'll talk at New Life about coming around the Lord's table on Sundays and then coming around our own tables during mm-hmm. the week. We yeah. want people to do that. I mean, we've got this building and we got buildings right you know, We don't want people to only be in church buildings. Right. We want them to practice the hospitality of Jesus at the soccer field, at the school, uh, you know, parties and all of that stuff. In the ordinariness of their life, which is what yes. your book is about. Yes. Yeah, taking the ordinary and making it sacred. It just seems that a lot of American Christians are looking for the magic formula instead mm. of the faithful formula, you know? Mm. That, so the, yeah. what you're describing seems too kind, <laughs> uh, too long-suffering. Uh, it just seems too daily. Yeah. And what we're looking for is that epic moment where right. people suddenly realize they need Christ and fall. It's the Emmaus Road experience yeah, yeah. or whatever, you know, the Damascus, road to Damascus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but I love that this book gives us permission to be yes. faithful every day, to be steadfast every day, Glenn. It's really yeah. well written. I highly recommend it. I, I think pastors, if you'll recommend this to your congregation, mm. that you will see a steadfastness and a mm. faithfulness in your congregation. So I'm just, I love the book, Glenn. Oh, Thank yeah. you for writing Thanks it. And I know how vulnerable it is to put out a book <laughs> you that, you, that you worked a whole lifetime to write. Yeah. But Glenn, this is so well done and kudos to you and uh, way to go. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. And so if you found this or any episode helpful to you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you. (laughs) 